Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday, and it is February the 14th. It is Valentine's Day, and it is Ash Wednesday at the same time. So that's an interesting thought. Let me just, let me put this out there. Uh, Rachel Campos Duffy, who's a lovely person and a Catholic and a mom of many. I think she has seven kids. She just put a tweet out and I just saw it just before we went live. She said, ladies, look up from your phones. God is marking the good men today. So isn't that a neat way to kind of combine the two days? It's the beginning of Lent, uh, a period of preparation for the passion and the sacrifice of our Savior, but also today celebrating love, which is not wrong. And all those men, with those little crosses, the little smudges of ash on their foreheads, they're not wearing a ring. Fair game, y'all. Just saying. It's an interesting thought. I like it. All right, so um, we got a, a big show, a bunch of stuff that I wanted to cram in. I told the folks in the chat already that we've got probably two hours worth of uh, material that I'm going to cram in there into uh, an hour-ish, an hour-ish today. And I appreciate you guys joining us. If you're not joining us on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, please do so. You can always come over here. If you're watching us anywhere else, what you're missing in those other places is a real live chat that is quite vigorous and grows every single day. It gets grows in speed and it grows in quality. And uh, we do appreciate all of those. Make sure you're giving us a thumbs up on Rumble. Give us a like because we do appreciate it. And let's get started. First of all, I might as well say thanks to a sponsor. And then I'm going to give you a great Christian rebuttal to something we played yesterday. So we're already off and rolling. Let's go ahead and say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote. These are the folks that jumped in and knew that this podcast might be something that you would like. And they have been supporting us in a big, big way. I'm very grateful for them. CatholicVote.org. They have their own podcast called The Loopcast, which was done uh, yesterday. There was a really good one out. Worth your time. They also make a loop email. The email is just fantastic news that you guys can't. You can't find that quality for free emailed to you every single day anywhere else. And I've looked because that's kind of what my business is right now. Go to catholicvote.org, sign up for the loop, just put in your email address, give them your zip code. That'll help them uh, to kind of tailor messaging. And they will send you an outstanding email every morning, which I get all the time. And uh, today is no exception. You guys can always support them financially if you choose to. There's a green button that says to give. You don't have to be Catholic to support Catholic Vote. They're not the Catholic Church. Um even if you have a problem with the Catholic Church, you probably don't have a problem with Catholic people that want the same thing that you do. That's faith, family, and freedom. These folks are in the fight for it, and they do it in a uh, in a political way. They do it in a cultural way, and they're they're really just solidly good people that I continue to meet there. Everybody that I've met from Catholic Vote has just been a winner. So I appreciate them supporting us, and I would appreciate you guys supporting them. Like I said, if nothing else, just get their email. It doesn't cost anything, and you'll be in good space. Okay, so a Christian rebuttal to a video we played the other day. We, t- we played that thing, He Gets Us, right? Which is, I believe, leftist, Marxist types that are attempting to... They're attempting to push Christianity's vestiges and, and, and move their messaging. And, and it comes from a fundamental lack of understanding of what Christianity is. That's obviously why they do it. But they think like, hey, we're not Christians, you're Christians. We're going to hold you to a standard that you should hold yourself to. And um, this is the rebuttal. It's also a great song. If you guys don't know the song from NXS, this comes from, I believe, 1988. I've got another song from 1987 coming a little bit later on. 
So we're going to just keep playing through. We'll have um, an enjoyable series of of musical musical stylings from the 80s coming out. <laughs> Anyhow, this is a great pushback against what was said. And if you're not watching on our Rumble channel, you're going to miss this entirely. It'll be the same song, but you'll miss the um, the conversion stories, which is really what Jesus is about. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. Man, it's such a powerful song, too. It doesn't matter who does any version of it. It doesn't have to be the original NSX, in excess, rather. Um, the whole point there is not just that Jesus gets us. It's that Jesus saves us. And that's what this video pointed out. Showed conversion stories. Pretty amazing. Uh, conversion stories of people who were former witches, people who were abortionists, people who were transgender activists, people who were lesbian activists in communities. And they went around, and what did they decide? They found the better path. They found what it looks like to be uh, to be saved. And so that's really special. It's a it's an important message, I think, today on this Ash Wednesday when we remember that we're all going to end up dying and we're all going to go back into the dust from whence we came. None of us are going to be here forever. So what we do on this earth, it matters in so much as what we put ourselves into. And also, I would be totally remiss in saying, and not saying rather, that uh, I'm incredibly grateful for my wonderful wife. Um, any man who knows when you step into the arena, if you don't have a family and a wife behind you, and uh, any of you who have not had that experience, I highly encourage you find it because um, love of my life is a choice. She's the love of my life, but but it's a choice every day. We don't just accidentally get this mythical thing where you find magic. You work at it every day and, um, and you wake up every morning and make that decision. So I hope all of you guys find that in your life. For those of you who don't have it, it's a powerful thing. It's one of the most powerful things that can move us forward. All right. Let's do some news. <laughs> That's some, that, I'm a pretty sentimental guy, you guys might actually find out. Uh, but we also have a lot going on in the world. There was a tale of two cameras that we're going to discuss today. One of them is a camera that shows the ongoing silliness that happens in our, in our congressional houses. And another one is one that my friend Steve Baker found. And if you haven't been following the Twitter feed already this morning, I will share it with you. Um, let's start with this. This is CNN, who might as well be a co-writer for this show. It shows you, this is just their main page. I wanted you guys to get a taste of it. What do they think is important? Uh, five takeaways from the New York high stakes special election. Yeah, it's so high stakes that it's going to be putting a Democrat in for 11 months. That is a self-inflicted wound by our Republicans. It's weakness that, we, that we've seen our Republicans sort of take on. Nobody asked them to do it. They just did it. They did it to themselves. So that's what they're talking about. They also talk about, in a much smaller way, the impeachment. I think the impeachment is actually quite important. And I think it means more than uh, than CNN would like you to believe. You remember we covered it yesterday when they were talking about how small 
and how pathetic it was that they failed. That's why it was actually so important that they got this thing done before they lost this this very razor thin um, majority that the GOP has. Okay, so uh, let's cover that story right now. And I've got both CNN's take on it and Fox News take two opposing sources, if you will. The key for the for the Republican side to remember is that there are three dissenting votes, three people that should be counted on to to vote as a block in this particular problem. And we've got Mike Gallagher, who's who's hanging up his hat and no longer going to run for office. Ken Buck, same story. McClintock in California. They all bucked their party's trends and they sided with Democrats. It's interesting. They know they're not going to have to run for re-elections in, in, in red areas, and they've chosen to work against it. But the fact of the matter is, is the impeachment the impeachment went through. What I think is, is, is important and worth noting is that Fox News is highlighting you had dissenters on the Republican side. We rarely see that on the Democrat side. They tend to vote as a block. They can whip their party together for the votes that they require for all of their radical policies. And this is not that radical. In fact, it would be my suggestion to you that Impeaching a cabinet secretary for failing to do the single job that he has is actually the most reasonable thing that's going on. But it's a little bit bigger than that to me. It's a little bit bigger because this is the first time that a cabinet secretary has been impeached since 1876. The first time since 1876. So we're going halfway back to the founding of this country or the better way of half, half the way back to the founding of this country. And that's good. Because what we keep seeing on the political left is... New lows, if you will, what they would call highs, but new lows of political theatrics where they are willing to impeach not just once, but twice Donald Trump. That's the new low. Never been done before. And so they're setting their own sort of standards and we need to hold them accountable to the same rules in the same way that we would think that uh, we would think that the rules for radicals needs to apply both ways. We need to look at their playbook and use it. And so this is good. Are they going to be able to convict this guy in the Senate? No, of course not. Are they going to air some dirty laundry? Mm-hmm, they are. And that's all good too. But the fact is, is we have to, we have to keep playing the game that is being played against us. I mentioned the other day, the checkers, the chess sitting in the park, and then the demolition derby coming through. Somebody coming in in a monster truck and smashing all the tables. The only way that you can stop the monster truck that's smashing the tables is to bring in an equal or bigger monster truck and, go, and turn it into demolition derby. You can't just let them run a road rally through what you're playing an otherwise civilized game. This is not a civilized game right now. And so it's very important. It's totally important that this happens. And uh, in doing so, we've got like a little video. This is a victory. It's a weak victory. And you'll notice just how little ceremony there needs to be. This is like what should have been step zero or negative three. But sure enough, they're getting it done. We'll give credit where it's due. Here's a quick video of the, uh, the tally of the vote that uh, results in the impeachment of Mayorkas. On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 213. The resolution is adopted. And three people cheered, because three people cared enough. 214 to 213. Now remember, that vote was tied last time and was uh, didn't pass at 215-215. And once again, that tiny little majority has been undermined because Republicans removed a member of their own party, someone who voted in a conservative way. You don't have to like George Santos as a person. I actually personally find him quite funny. He's uh, he's pretty amusing. He's he's frank and he's he's all the things that you would think he is. And he shows up in Twitter spaces and he goes and he interacts with the people and he mixes it up and he calls people, you know, the way that they should be called. And he swears like a regular person. And all that actually is is sort of charming. 
because he is a regular guy. He's a regular gay guy, but he's a regular guy, and we get along quite well. Um, <laughs> he also has this, uh, that kid Derek Myers was was attempting to bring him down. Anyway, when all the forces of evil kind of conspire, conspire against you, you don't have to love the person, but the way that he voted was great. And they self-inflicted this wound. They brought it on themselves. And uh, the result of it is, is a small triumph for Democrats. The upside is, is that we are seeing some new quote unquote historics. CNN calls it, uh, they, they said the, the first cabinet member impeached in 150 years. And they're acting like that's something horrible. It's actually pretty good. That's what it's supposed to be. So let me read a little bit from the CNN piece as well. Because the way that they took it, the results come one week after they're going to have to highlight this, the stunning loss that the House Republicans suffered when they last tried to impeach Mayorkas and the GOP defectors and absences sank the initial floor vote. That's why this had to be done, folks. They failed. But they came back and did it again. Usually what we're used to seeing is Republicans give it a shot, it's theatrical, and then they quit. Right? They usually take their shot, and if it doesn't work out, then they move on. They feel like they've gotten the soundbite that they needed. They've showed that they had resolve, but there's just not enough support for it. That cannot happen. And so perhaps this is just a little bit of a turn of the tide. There's also a lot of stuff going on in the background. We're going to cover something a little bit later on the show of just some of the like the evil that's working. It's the most old evil. It's personality conflicts. It has nothing to do with caring about whether or not we have a, um, a country that is functional. There are people in, in, in politics that are there simply to serve their own egos. And we're going to discuss just a little bit of that, a little bit of an inside look behind the curtain for you guys. But uh, this is what uh, this is what the spokesperson from DHS has to say. Obviously, a party person who is representing Mayorkas' statement can't say it himself. House Republicans will re be remembered by history for trampling on the Constitution for political gain rather than working to solve the serious challenges at our border. Really? Go F yourself. That's the answer that every American should have. That's the answer that every person in the GOP should have. Go F yourself. Trampling on the Constitution. The Constitution for them is something that they bring out only when it matters. It's like uh, somebody who has children, ignores them all the time, and never spends any time like you know catering to them or loving them or spending uh, you know any quality, quality time that they've set aside. And then they want to parade them out for political gain. It's the same kind of thing to me, trampling on the Constitution. Democrats talking about that is pretty disgusting. It's pretty awful. And we can't trust them. We shouldn't. So we won't. And, and here's the other thing, speaking of Democrats. It's interesting because that vote was quite important. A historic vote. 150 years this hasn't been done. The last time it happened was Civil War era, 1876, or the aftermath. But isn't it interesting that what's really important for people in the Senate is Democrat priorities. So here is um, alleged Republican, but in actuality, full Democrat, Mittens Romney, letting you know what the most important thing that is going to be voted on, it's going to be giving money away to not America. So priorities. We talked about it at the beginning of this week. The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. What? Let's hear that one more time, because, um, because what? The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. How is that even possible? How is that even possible that the guy thought that was reasonable to stand up and say? Who is feeding this guy that line? Who is writing these speeches? The word treason gets thrown around an awful lot, and I don't like it. But how about betrayal? That's betrayal. When you've signed 
up to be something to to serve people as a representative. And theoretically, those people are Americans. I don't think he represents Ukraine, the, the 51st state. And yet that's the most important vote that he's ever going to take. It's nauseating. It's it's it. It makes everybody's head just spin. And so we need to share clips like this of people saying this ridiculous nonsense. We need to share it so that we know who these people are. And then you need to go out and make sure they get primaried. Uh, obviously, um, Romney's not coming back, but just there's, there's clips of these people all over the place and they exist everywhere. And if we're not paying attention now, uh, I talked about stupidity. Unfortunately, even though they did make this this win and maybe they saw the clock was ticking, um, they did it just under the wire because they're going to lose even one more of these votes. This guy obviously would have voted the other way. We just lost the seat for Santos and here's who won it. Covered both by CNN and by Fox. Um, a guy named Tom Scusi. Susie, you guys can correct my pronunciation. I can't tear less. He's in the seat for 11 months. That's that literally, you know, do you know how short a congressional term is? It's two years. Some people don't realize this, that these, these Congress people that have been there forever, they run for election every two years. Now it's important that they do that. And it's the way it's set up is that it makes it the lower house of Congress. It's supposed to be a regular turnover to represent the people. But we couldn't let George Santos sit there for another 11 months and just finish out his term and then let the voters decide. We can't do that. For everybody that's crying about what's going on in the Colorado Supreme Court, um, Republicans are, are just as bad in this case. They're removing somebody. He wasn't convicted of anything just because it looks bad. Maybe he wasn't doing what they wanted. I wonder um, when we start getting Santos speaking a little bit more clearly about what happened to him. Yeah, was he an, an imperfect vessel? Of course, but that's the whole reason. That's the whole reason why we have elections. You put somebody in, and then now you've got this special election, which has historically low turnouts. It's always the way these things work, and the Democrats were able to flip the seat. Now, Santos was an anomaly. He was able to flip a seat that you know hadn't been flipped in over a decade, five terms. And then sure enough, we've got this, uh, this Democrat coming in and winning the special election seat. It's troubling. Uh, it, it ruins that little razor-thin majority. It makes the job of House Republicans harder. And all he had to do was basically go out there and, and tie uh, the the Republican who was running against him, this woman named Mazzy Phillip, or um, Pillip, just said, yeah, this is, this is George Santos 2.0. Even the Republicans don't want him. He's garbage. She's garbage. And kaboom, now you've lost a seat. Now you've given up an unforced error to make things weaker. I don't get it. We got to play the same game. That's why the impeachment vote was actually important, even if it's not going to result, even if it won't result in anything close to, um, <laughs> it's not going to even re result in anything close to a majority or it's not going to result in, uh, you know, uh, a super majority happening. We're not going to get anything done in this Congress. That's great. It's okay. But you still have to, you have to put the guy on the record and let it be known. We're going to go and reach deep into our bag and do stupid things as well. It should be mutually assured destruction, as we've talked about, uh, and Steve Red is big fans of that. Everybody should should hurt for that. All right, before we move on to our next topic, and we've got a bunch more to cover, and we're going to get deep and weird, and like I said, tale of two cameras. One camera covers that House um, impeachment vote. The other one covers a pipe bomber. So stick around for that. Uh, before we do, let's say thanks to my sponsor over here at Contingency Medical. Let me reach off camera here. Boom. There's my Contingency Medical pack. I'm keeping it up here. I spend so much time in this desk, I might as well keep it with me. Folks, if you have not gone to contingencymedical.com, you should go there and check out 
They've got an antibiotic pack that is ready to keep you prepared for the eventuality. At some point, we all get sick. I, I hear these people, they're like, oh, I haven't been sick in 10 years. I don't believe you. You just don't remember or you were able to get better. And when that thing hits you because you're under stress and you're traveling and you don't have time to go to a doctor, or you don't want to go to a doctor, or you can't get access, you can't get an appointment, you're going to have to go to an emergency room, you can already prepare by going to contingencymedical.com, use the promo code Kyle. Contingency Medical is going to get you set up with a several doses, several different tracks of different antibiotics plus antiemetics. Those are the ones that stop nausea and vomiting. That That is a game changer for me, by the way. Being ac Having access to uh, Zofran in a bag that I have a prescription for so that if I'm rolling and suddenly it's like, uh, queasiness takes me out of the game. I couldn't do the show if I was queasy. I, I, I could do it with a, with a fever. I could do it with a headache. I could do it with a sinus infection. I could not do it if I thought I was going to vomit at any moment. Check out contingencymedical.com. Go in there, get evaluated. You, you just put your medical history in, just like any other telehealth position, except they just send you the antibiotics in advance and you hold on to them and dole them out when it makes sense for you, when you think it's time. And uh, you've already seen the doctor, so you're good to go. And they give you a bunch of different stuff. They've got doxycycline in there, which is a broad spectrum. They've got uh, amoxicillin and so on. Great, great company, great pack. And we're really excited about having them on. So make sure you guys check them out. Again, contingencymedical.com. And the promo code is Kyle so that you, they know that we sent you. All right, good enough. Let's do uh, let's do this one because we're gonna we're gonna get there. We're getting to some Biden corruption, which was the story of the day. We talked about memory issues. How about this story, real quick? This comes from the Federalist, uh, Margot Cleveland writing it. Biden's business partner claims that Joe wasn't involved in telling after after he told the FBI that he was involved in the businesses. Uh oh. So some of the things are gonna start to fall apart. I saw a bunch of stuff trending about Tony Bobolinsky yesterday, and for whatever it's worth, let it be known some some suspendables personal experience. Tony Bobolinsky is a piece of shit of a human being. <laughs> he is not someone you want to hang your hat on. But when people start telling the FBI one thing and then changing their mind and telling them the other thing, that actually is big news. Uh, this is Rob Walker talking. It says, Joe Biden was never a part of anything we did. That was Hunter Biden's former business partner, Rob Walker, and he told the Oversight Committee that during a closed-door interview in late January. The problem is, is that there was a recording of him being interviewed by FBI agents that says exactly the opposite. It's the first inconsistency. The White House, uh, when House investigators confronted him about the statement that he had made, he had previously told an IRS investigator and an FBI agent who went to his house in Arkansas to question him, and uh, he didn't know that they were recording it. And there is, in fact, a transcript of that, which was just released. It seems like a real problem. Isn't that the perjury thing? Isn't this the false statements game? When you make false statements to federal agents, aren't you supposed to uh, have people throw the book at you, General Flynn style? How come it only happens on one side? It says, during the interview, the FBI agent asked Walker whether Joe Biden had ever shown up at any meetings with CEFC, the Chinese uh, communist energy conglomerate that Hunter and his partner were soliciting business for, paid Walker's LLC $3 million in March of 2017. Walker later gave Hunter Biden more than $1 million of that money. And after telling agents that Joe Biden had come to the Four Seasons to greet members of the CEFC delegation, the FBI agent asked him if there were any times um, when he was in office, or did you hear Hunter say that he was setting up a meeting with his dad while his dad was still in office? And Walker said yes. Okay. But then you have him denying that. I certainly don't recall Hunter setting up any meetings with his dad. <laughs> he said, I would like to point out that I believe that... Uh, that there was a recording device I didn't know about. Oops. Look, man, in federal matters, the FBI doesn't have to tell you that they are recording. And lying to them is still a crime either way. 
So how about a little bit of equal justice? That's what I would like to see. I would just like to see a little bit of fundamental fairness. It's good enough to, to impeach Trump over a phone call and over some phony January 6th claims. So why not? Get it? Get Mayorkas as well. I want to see what's good for the goose being good for the gander. I want to see mutually assured destruction. I want to see a little bit of consistency. Wouldn't it be nice to have a little bit of consistency from these folks? Are we really going to see it? No, but we need to keep exposing it. Meanwhile, the question of Joe Biden's capabilities, his memory, his uh, his uh, ability to hold on to facts, which we know is weak and terrible. He's really bad at it. It comes up again, and it's amazing to me. That it's probably the worst job in the world to be the White House spokesperson. Kareem Jean-Pierre, who I call Sideshow Bob just because of the haircut, she looks like that, and she obviously was hired to be a sideshow. Why? Because she's a black lesbian. That's the most important thing about her. Not that she's good at lying. She's not good at lying. She's far worse than Jen Psaki. She's not nearly as sharp, um, but she will continue to throw it out there in the world. And, uh, you know, is a cognitive test a reasonable thing to ask of a president in this age bracket who clearly has problems and was just was just said that the special counsel won't seek charges or seek to press charges because they think that he's a, a doddering old man. They think that he's a, a kindly elderly man who has a bad memory. That seems reasonable. 86% of the people in America have uh, issues with his age and his memory. Meanwhile, the White House spokespeople are going to gaslight you about it. So we got a back-to-back. This is uh, KJP doing the sideshow routine, and then I'll play you some fun stuff from Joe because we'll we all need a laugh midweek. It's Weird Wednesday. Let's do this. Here we go. Does the White House think that the the idea of the president taking a cognition test, a cognitive test, as a part of this uh, physical is a legitimate idea, particularly just on the heels of the special counsel report, more polling, as my colleague Selena just mentioned, showing that many American people have concerns about that? Look, I got this question last week as well, and I'm just going to say what the what uh, Dr. O'Connor, it's kind of a uh, what he said to me about a year ago uh, when the report came out last year, uh, obviously on his physical, uh, which is the president proves every day how he operates, how he thinks, right? But by dealing with world leaders, by making really difficult decisions on behalf of the, the American people, whether it's domestic, whether it's national security. And so he shows it every day on how he thinks, how he operates. Uh, and so that is how, uh, that is how the, Dr. O'Connor sees it, and that's how I'm gonna leave it. Yeah. taking that kind of a test. And I believe, for me, you're asking me my personal opinion, uh, he is sharp, uh, he is on top of things. He, When we have uh, meetings with him, with his staff, he's constantly pushing us, getting, trying to get more information. And so that has been my experience with this president. Uh, anything else outside of that, uh, I just shared with you what Dr. O'Connor said to me, uh, and so I'll just leave it there. And he shared that a year ago, if you listen to the words that she said. She said that was a year ago that that was said. So that's really good. A uh, couple things. Number one, you'll listen to just the sycophantic way that the press corps asked their questions. The question was, do you believe that it's legitimate for people to be asking for a cognitive test? That's not the question. The question is, why is Joe Biden not submitting to a cognitive test when he was just said that he doesn't have the ability, you know, when, a, when a special counsel said that he doesn't have the ability to, to even stand trial for obvious crimes, for sharing classified information with people who had no need to know, had no clearance, had no NDA on file, his ghostwriter and others. So that's that's the question. The question is, why is he not taking one? Not, do you think it's legitimate? And then the second thing is, she's talking about old information, which is pretty wild. And then she said, lastly, which we're going to go ahead and follow up on, she said 
The American people can see every single day how capable he is and how strong and virile and and uh, how useful the, the things he has to say are and, and the tough, tough decisions he's making left and right. All right. So I just called this video Joe is effing retarded. But uh, we this is what we see. This is what we see, KJP. Beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. <laughs> My memory is fine. The president of Mexico, CC, did not want to open up the gate. A solid meeting with um, with uh, the uh, Mitterrand from Germany. I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said. Elderly man with a poor memory. I said, I'm going to be a president for everybody, whether you live in a red state or a green state. I, uh, um, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to. Making Roe v. Word. The best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you, that you, uh, um, like to be able to, anyway. Of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. 50, 159,000 billion dollars led. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in uh, foot. foot uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? One, two. Well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. The, um... <laughs> that's western landsman uh, that you saw the uh, the tag on there we'll give credit where it's due what a great video what a great montage and also the the music is perfect as well what a confused old man listen if you want to get something done you just uh oh, what am i talking about folks if you're not following us on rumble.com please join us on rumble.com slash kyle seraphin you can do that and uh join the live chat which is still going i see you guys did not like that some people said that they're living in a green state of mind not in a red state or a green state but just a green state of mind knowing that they want to puke because that's the guy that's in charge of our country which is a weird thing to have that's a weird thing to have that poor old dude an elderly man with a poor memory theoretically the quote-unquote leader of the free world we don't believe it we can't believe it because the country keeps going he's not in charge thankfully um, if you want something done, though, you got to get it done yourself. That is something that we actually do believe. Joe Biden may not be able to do it, but Steve Baker is able to do it. And we have some really, really important reporting. This is the second camera that matters from today's opening. The Capitol Police diverted the CCT cameras away from the DNC pipe bomb investigation. All of them, except one. This is coming from Blaze Media, our friend Steve Baker, who I spoke with this morning, and he's got more coming on this. Folks, this story is not over. There's a little bit more to it as well. The video that you recently saw Julie Kelly release was actually part of Steve Baker's um, investigation. It's the stuff that he had requested from members of the GOP, by the way, theoretically conservatives, and he was actually waylaid that his information was given to Julie Kelly without her asking for it. It was it was snuck over. So I like Julie Kelly. I think she's good people. She called me about six times. Um, I couldn't get back to her. We kept playing phone tag before that video that she dropped showing the dog sniffing the area. And there's no way that we're going to believe that a dog missed, particularly a dog, like that's their Super Bowl, people. A pipe bomb with black powder? That's what they train for every day. 
That's the dog Super Bowl. And we're supposed to believe that a dog got within a few feet of that and didn't didn't understand that there was a uh, explosive device there. There's a lot more going on here. And this video that we're going to show you, I'm going to show you it in its entirety. It's way longer than I would normally show. Usually we do like a 90 second, maybe a two minute clip. This thing is a little bit over three. It's pretty important that we're going to share all of it. It's a little bit over three minutes long. All right, let me read from the story here a little bit first, and then um, we'll come back to the story as well. But they found uh, one camera that the Capitol Police forgot about, and that is what's pending. Okay? That's what's that's what's coming. So, among the most enduring unsolved mysteries surrounding the events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol are pipe bombs planted outside the offices of the Republican and Democrat National Committees. In January, Blaze was able to reveal that the individual who discovered the device was, in fact... Not a passerby, but a plainclothes U.S. police officer. This is dogged work by Steve Baker. If you want it done, you got to do it yourself. He has reviewed thousands of hours of closed-circuit cameras. He's told me basically the setup looks like they can see four cameras at a time, and they can run it fast-forward to the areas that they want. And he has done a ton of that. And he's also had extra eyeballs from the blaze. He's got analysts now assigned to him because he's working with a large organization. And uh, they're able to report that uh, there were three U.S. Capitol Police-controlled surveillance cameras that were pointed at that building, and two of them were redirected from the scene. Before we talk about what that means, I want to play the video itself. This is Steve Baker in his own words. This is production by The Blaze. We are uh, taking this directly from their Twitter. I'm sorry, directly from their YouTube page, and it's a little bit long. As I said, it's 100% worth our time. Tune into this, and you'll listen to uh, my friend Steve Baker narrating it in his own words, and then we'll go back to his story in just a second here, because there's even more to this. The analysis that, that at the end is going to be relevant. First, got to see what they did. Capital CCTV camera number 3173 was the most important camera covering the DNC pipe bomb story event. You've probably already seen... Thomas Massey's release of the video in which it appears that a Capitol Police plainclothes officer has discovered the bomb and has alerted the Secret Service and the Metro Police officers that were on the scene. You've probably also already seen the bomb-sniffing dog, and you may have already also seen the arrival of then-Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's motorcade. What you haven't seen is, well, what somebody in the Capitol Police Command Center didn't want us to see. And that's the actual investigation of the bomb scene. What we're going to show you now is how they hid that from us. What we were able to access from the Capitol CCTV viewing room is how long that camera number 3173 had remained in that fixed position. We were able to go back as far as December 28th of 2020, just eight days or so before the events of January 6th. And from that review, we could see that the camera's positioning was in that fixed position for days, weeks, months. But ultimately, it was only just these very few minutes after the bomb's discovery that that camera began to move. The camera then began to move, pan, zoom in, looking for the bomb itself. The one thing that we know for sure is that camera 3173 was the most crucial of all the cameras. It had the closest and the clearest view of what law enforcement's response, what their investigation, and ultimately the destruction and detonation or the attempted detonation of the bomb would be by the bomb squad robot. But inexplicably, 
And I'm getting tired of using that word every single time we do one of these investigations. But that seems to be the key word when it's related to January 6. Is that at approximately 1.40 p.m., camera number 3173 was remotely directed away from the scene at about a 90-degree angle, and then it remained in this newly fixed position away from the investigation for the rest of the day, or at least until midnight on January 6th. Now, it might be assumed that this was an error, an accident, an oversight. Maybe somebody bumped the joystick on camera number 3173 until we then review camera number 8020. As we are seeing the robot deployed down the street, headed towards the bomb, someone again directs camera 8020 away from the investigation scene and then affixes it once again, it seems like at a hard right 90 degree angle away from the investigation once again. Why would they turn those cameras away from the investigative scene? Who ordered those cameras to be turned away? What were we not allowed to see? Stay tuned to Blaze Media for those answers. All right, so the music is good. This is what an actual conspiracy, yeah, Joe, Joe Durden in our, in our chat just called it out. That's what an actual conspiracy looks like. There were three cameras that showed what went on. Two of them were intentionally moved. And if you if you guys didn't catch it while he was saying it, eight days prior to January 6th, Steve Baker went back eight days and watched that camera and it didn't move for eight full days. For the first time that it was moved was just when there was something of note and of interest to capture. I'm going to go back to the piece here because it's really relevant and uh, and he did a great job covering it. So at the bottom of the piece, if you guys go, you can sign up for Blaze. This is probably behind a paywall, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, I've got access to it uh, from with not using the paywall. Uh, a couple issues. Number one, we've lost comms. The Secret Service has said that they were unable to, uh, to keep track of the text messages, and those were deleted, and those are gone. Why? Thomas Massey, congressman on judiciary, said it was like pulling teeth to get the first seven minutes of the discovery of this bomb. We should release all the video, and he thinks that the uh, video of the attempted detonation of the bomb should release as well. I'm going to tell you why that's not happening in a second, which I happen to know from some inside sources. We're not going to we're not going to reveal anything, but we are going to show you who it is that's holding the stuff back, and it's for one of the dumbest reasons right now. One possibility and one one probability. Uh, the cameras turn. There is there is U.S. Capitol Police footage or uh, radio transmissions, rather, that show that the bomb was command was reported to the command post for USCP on one about 107 on that day. Four minutes later, you have the plane close officer coming onto that view of the camera, 3173, the same camera that they released the seven minute footage of that Thomas Massey had to fight, and it's a pan tilt zoom, a PTZ, as Dan Bongino has covered many different ways. You've seen um, Julie Kelly and uh, Darren. Darren Beatty over at Revolver doing the same thing. The thing that's so interesting is that Steve has gone through all of these cameras to find out that, in fact, one of them was, in fact, missed. That's a big deal. They thought they turned all of them away. You can just imagine. We're talking about government competency here. Two out of three ain't bad if you're looking at it. And they move these things so they are no longer able to see this stuff. Why? Why would you turn away a camera 
from an active crime scene, an investigation of an explosive device? Well, Steve asked me that very question. A couple things. I'm quoted in this article a number of times, so I'm going to read you some of the quotes that I've got only because I know where they're coming from. Number one, the FBI spent a significant amount of time telling the public that we had quote-unquote viable devices. Did we not? That they were being briefed uh, to the American people in the news media that these were dangerous explosives. And at the same time, they were briefing my surveillance team who was following a person of interest tied to these bombs that they were not explosive devices, that they were inert and that they were not dangerous to us. Why would they do that? Why would they lie to the American people? That's a big problem. That's why I came forward with this information. That's why I brought it to Congress. That's why I've shared what I know, including the person of interest name that is with members of uh, Congress and their congressional investigators. I brought it forward as a whistleblower disclosure, as I am allowed to do under law. Anybody who has any issues with that, they're, you know, FBI listening. Yep, that's what I did. Deal with it. The fact that it's getting reported, that's your problem. You're the ones who weren't being honest. Now, you work a case differently, whether you know or not, there's a real bomb or not. And that's obviously the case. You guys can just think about it. It's called officer safety in the law enforcement world. It's what sort of safety must you uh, forego in order to work the case correctly. And you're going to take on some risk always. That's what being a law enforcement officer involves. But more importantly, if you know that these are not real bombs, you can get a lot closer to your subject. You don't have to worry about a 300 foot minimum safe distance and the possibility of having your team blown up trying to get you know what may not be very important information. That's why it's relevant to the people who did the work that I did. Now, interestingly... We had guys like Steve D'Antuano, who was the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. We've talked about this before. He went and testified in front of judiciary, including Thomas Massey. And he said, people like, and this is a direct quote, people like Kyle Seraph and others that are not a case agent have no knowledge of the case. They have no knowledge of what happened in the case. My response to him is, of course, that's false. I mean, maybe he's never worked cases. I know he hadn't worked cases for a very long time by the time he got into that position, but that's ridiculous. It's what's called a case briefing. And anybody that's ever worked as part of a task force or that's ever been part of a case that they didn't own, but they were investigating as one asset on a bigger team knows that a case briefing lets you know what is happening, what has been done. And the reason you do it is because you want to know what is important to the case agent when you're out there with your eyes and ears on the streets. It's standard for anybody doing surveillance work. And if anybody is serious about working as a teammate whether you be on SWAT, whether you be on a search team, whether you be on a surveillance operation, you have to know what the case agent is looking for. So of course we got briefed on it and it was our standard procedure. I shared that with Steve as well. Now, I know that Steve D'Antuano was never on a surveillance unit. He was too busy being a manager and not working cases. That's obvious, but it's totally illogical that he was not being briefed at least as well as we were and maybe better. So he's either incompetent or he's being deliberately obtuse for Congress. I, I'm, I'm on record saying that with Blaze. I'm saying it to you guys in, uh, in a verbal format. I don't know if Steve D'Antuano is, is incompetent or if he uh, is a liar, but either one of those is possible. Neither one of those is acceptable for FBI senior leadership. That's what my problem with the FBI is. You keep putting these people in who are either willing to lie for the regime or are too dumb to have the job. Now, we also just saw on those videos a lot of movement in front of that so-called bomb. It makes no sense when you have a high-value protectee in there. You wouldn't let uh, children walk in front of it. You wouldn't let strangers walk by. You wouldn't let vehicles and buses drive past a potential active explosive. You would never do that. It's absurd. Um, I did identify something to Steve that I think is relevant. Whenever we see these things, whenever someone tells you, imagine someone coming up to you right now at your workplace or in your home, knocking on the door, there's a bomb outside. There's three possible actions that happen, especially if you believe that person. And they're all known as sympathetic nervous responses. The sympathetic nervous response is often called fight or flight. I'm going to go to the main cam here. 
But fight or flight is incomplete. There's actually three possibilities when you have a, an epinephrine dump, when you have a sympathetic response in your nervous system. One is fight. Two is flight. Three, and very, very common in modern society, is freeze. People freeze all the time. And that is a possibility that these people didn't even figure out what was going on, that they were freezing. That's a possibility. Or more likely, they were told to stand down. And why do we think that? Because the way that they acted doesn't look like the way law enforcement officers react when they're told, bomb, bomb, bomb. That's how you say it. It doesn't make sense. On top of that, what we have are two cameras panning away. Now, why would you leave the cameras in place? Because whenever you work a crime scene, anybody who's ever done any crime scene work knows that you're supposed to keep a log. Anybody who's ever watched a CSI show knows that. There's always someone standing there with a clipboard. You seen it? Um, I watched the movie, the, the show The Fall on Netflix. It's done pretty well. It's it's a uh, um, Irish investigator, I believe, coming in, or they're working in Ireland, and uh, they're from they're from the UK, and so they're doing this investigation. But even in the UK, all Western sort of law enforcement works on the same principles. Once you have a crime scene set up, then you have to control the area. It becomes a controlled access area. You really want one point in and one point out, and you want to know who comes in and when. We want to know when they come in. All right. So people log so and so seraphin in 1001 seraphin out 1015. Even better if you have a camera system that's actually able to, to, to track that for you, because then you can go, oh, my God, we've got uh, these fingerprints here and I don't know why they're there. Or we have some DNA evidence that's here or we've got something that was disturbed and I don't know when it happened. And you run and you play the tape back. You go, oh, we didn't get a complete log on scene. That's not good for us. But the good news is, is we have some backup record. So having a camera is great. There's really only one reason that I can think of that makes sense. And then the other reason is nefarious. The one reason why you would actually turn cameras away from dismantling a bomb like this, from an active crime scene that you are currently investigating, when you want all the information available and all the things that the investigators may have missed, the only reason that you would turn it away is if it was a camera, one, that was outside of your control. In other words, it was owned by someone and you didn't have the ability to seize it and you couldn't stop the distribution of it. And on top of that, that's part part A of that. Part B of that would be that you actually had a classified or a law enforcement sensitive technique being used. But as Steve Baker points out in this, they're using a, a bomb disposal unit that has a water disruption technology. It's widely known and taught. It's explicitly described in the DHS security website of how they use or how they dismantle bombs. So they haven't used a classified technique. And I worked around EOD people when I was in the Air Force, and they have to go into a skiff and all the stuff they do in training and all the things about current explosives and the way they dismantle them. A lot of that stuff is classified on purpose. It makes sense. They don't want to give that information out to people. But when you're dismantling something using a publicly available and publicly described technology, you don't have to hide this. And the second thing is, is U.S. Capitol Police owned access to this footage. They could easily classify it right after the fact. No problem. Okay. So that, that number one is out. The other reason is nefarious. There's no other good reason that you would not want to have video footage of your crime scene. It's of value to you as a law enforcement professional. Why would you deliberately take away a document, a video record of what was done right or wrong for the benefit of your case? So you could go back and say, oh, look, they missed this thing on that day. That's nefarious. I shared this with Dan Bongino this morning. He just said, you know, it, obviously it was an op. And we're all leaning more and more towards it. This is more evidence that something was going on. What that something is, is not immediately relevant or, or immediately obvious to us. But nefarious intent is the most likely scenario. And this is why the pipe bomber case is the least studied by the FBI. We don't see arrests in it. We don't see real work happening. And it leads the most 
most logical and thinking people. Forget about Antifa in the crowd. Forget about FBI sources in the crowd. Those things happen in every crowd. Whether you like it or not, this is the way it works. In law enforcement, putting a source or putting an undercover asset into a place like that is common. As I've mentioned to you guys before, I was, quote unquote, undercover or low visibility surveillance, dressed up in all black, unmarked, with radio and body armor and weapon, rolling around at Trump's inauguration in 2017. It's common. They put federal assets into the crowd to make sure that people can have their First Amendment protected liberty to celebrate or protest as they want. That's normal. What is not normal is turning cameras that would give you more information about the single most terroristic act that happened on that day and an FBI that is far too competent to not be able to handle this. They're able to identify people by their damn earlobes from pictures. They're able to identify people from their cell phones walking around. And we can't figure out who put a device that they didn't even, like, it was still intact when they found it, folks. Um, Twitter spaces are, are interesting because I get so much uh, value from uh, other people that have great experiences. And one of the gentlemen who used to be on a JTTF and used to be on an explosives task force was mentioning the fact that our, our FBI, the same FBI, same lab division, was able to get a partial VIN number off a piece of exploded material from a, a truck bomb in 1993 using technology that is now, what, 30 years old? They were able to get that and identify the truck, which led to a contract, which led to the people, which led to indicting the blind sheik from the World Trade Center bombings in 1993. And they had an unexploded device here, a pristine, inoperable, non-explosive device that wasn't detected by dogs and that we were seeing deliberate movement of these cameras away. It's bizarro world, and it makes no sense. No sense at all. This is where the real cover-up happens. This is what's really the evil that's going on right there, okay? If you don't take anything else away, all you need to do is know what is logical and what is normal and what is not. And when you don't have an explanation for what is not, we have to use our educated guesses. And that is that this is for a intent that is not benefiting the investigation. It bothers me. It should bother you dramatically. It should bother people on the sedition hunters. It should bother Democrats who called January 6th an insurrection. If you think that it was an insurrection and our country was almost overthrown on that day, don't you care about someone who's dropping random explosive devices in an urban area that is 95% Democrat and the people that are walking by vote the way that you do? Don't you give a shit about people? We can't let this thing go at all. At all. We cannot let it go. We cannot let it uh, fall. And thank God Steve's out there. So for whatever it's worth, there you go. That's some inside info that's not coming anywhere else. I want to cover a couple other stories. Before we do, let me say thanks to my friends over at uh, Four Patriots. And guys, if you're thinking it's getting bad, <laughs> this is how you prepare. All right. Prepare or repair are the two options. Fourpatriots.com slash Kyle. Again, the number fourpatriots.com slash Kyle or promo code Kyle at checkout is how you guys can get yourself hedged against God knows what. Because we are dealing with some weird times. We've got government agencies that are meant to investigate bombs and they're doing the opposite. We've got people that are inside our quote unquote own house that are on our own team that are not working. To benefit the team, they're working for their own personal little vendettas and they're and, and acting like scorned women. That's a good time to have some extra calories stacked up. That's a good time to make sure that you have a little bit of power options to keep your phones or your uh, your radios charged. And you can do that at 4patriots.com slash Kyle. Again, the number 4patriots.com, promo code Kyle. Two choices in life. You can prepare or you can repair, and repair is always more expensive. Just think about it, how those people in the uh, in some of the, the awful Soviet nations were like moving with, with wheelbarrows full of rubles, which I remember seeing when I was a kid. 
And uh, you know what? I bet they would have loved for when their currency meant something, that they could have traded it for something of value at the time. Get yourself squared away with some calories, stack them up, prepare in some way or another. And you guys can do so at 4patriots.com slash Kyle. We're going to keep going with a little bit more of the uh, the stories. I told you I was going to cram a bunch in here. I've got some more. Uh, how about this? This is worth knowing. We talked about Lloyd Austin going to the hospital. Apparently, he's going to uh, step out. He had a uh, invasive procedure, a prostate cancer, and some other things. So he's stepping out, and his, his replacement, and the presumptive replacement, is a woman named Dr. Kathleen Hicks. This is coming from Armed Forces Press. Defense Secretary Austin's presumptive replacement is a woke deep stater. Wonderful. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be getting these people out the door. Even though the Biden administration continued to back Austin, Austin was already politically skating on cracked thin ice due to the colossal failure in Afghanistan with the military withdrawal and predictably he will resign. His presumptive replacement is Hicks. Very few are aware that Hicks is a woke deep stater. Her views on the Defense Department role is the chief operating officer. In other words, she thinks that she should be uh, formulating strategic plans and policy and pushing out her woke agenda. Just a little thing to keep our radar, keep on our radar. That we've got a replacement. It's a female with a PhD. Always a great sign. We can always feel really good about these folks. And uh, another ideological incline. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pushing people out the door. Just because you're not going to be able to convict uh, Alejandro Mayorkas in the Senate doesn't mean he shouldn't be impeached. And just because uh, we know that we're going to get an equally bad or maybe even a worse person as the Secretary of Defense doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pushing these people out the door. Let's mix it up. Expose them. You know what it does? It exposes their bench. Their bench is not infinite. And we start getting into their, their weaker and weaker players. So we'll keep pushing them. That's what needs to happen. I just want you guys to have that on your radar and an awareness. And speaking of people that are weak and dumb and make terrible decisions. I want you to like imagine the timeline we are living in where this is this is something said by someone in California. Her name is Barbara Lee. We'll talk about her in just a minute. She is auditioning now. That's the only way I would call this. This is political theater. Here's your take on the minimum wage. You're going to hear some words and some lettering and some numbers that are not going to make sense to you right away. Yes, she said $50 an hour. You ready? Here we go. You're calling for a $50 an hour federal minimum wage. That's seven times the current national minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Can you explain how that would be economically sustainable for small businesses? You have 60 seconds. First, let me say I um, owned and ran a small business for um, 11 years. I created hundreds of jobs, benefits, retirement benefits, also health care benefits. I know what worker productivity means, and that means that you have to make sure that your employees are taken care of and have a living wage. In the Bay Area, I, I believe it was the United Way, came out with a report that uh, very recently, $127,000 for a family of four is just barely enough to get by. Another survey very recently, 104000 for a family of one, barely enough to get by low income because of the affordability crisis. And so just do the math. Just do the math. Of course, we have national uh, minimum wages that we need to raise to a living wage. You're talking about $20, $25, fine. But I have got to be focused on what California needs and what the affordability factor is when we calculate this wage. <laughs> that bell is really intense, by the way. How about that? It sounds like they're having an actual fight. Yeah, Adam Schiff is on the stage there. Uh, so Barbara Lee, she is running for Senate. She would like to be a senator. She'd like to be one of the 100. And 
she gives as an example the fact that she used to run a small business. Like what? And that it's really expensive in the Bay Area. And so we need a $50 an hour minimum wage. Are we are we completely out of our damn minds right now with these people? Have we just lost all ability to say anything that matters? Let me just bring up her website right here. So that's Barbara, Barbara Lee. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's representing California's 12th, formerly the 13th. And she's been there since 1998. So what does that tell us? That tells us that she hasn't had a job running a small business like she just cited in, you know, 25 years. Maybe things have changed in the last 25 years. Everything about technology. Think about where you were in 1998. Do you think any of the things that you learned, whether it be in business or technology or, uh, you know, sort of the way that the world works? <laughs> like what? You're going to go with your 1998 level uh, last time you ran a business. Is there any single person out here that thinks that paying people more money is going to make things less expensive at the base level? You're going to pay the incompetent and the people that barely can get a job. Like my first job, I made like three bucks an hour. Yeah, it was a little bit more than that. It was like, I don't know, 378 or something. But I worked in a Baskin Robbins. I was a kid. 50 bucks an hour to scoop ice cream. Get out of here with that stupidity. Put on your stupid Africa power mask. Wear a plastic glove. That's what you're seeing on the screen right now. She's wearing one of those food handler gloves, giving a black power fist. Gross. So here we go. I just pulled it from her own website because why not? Ah, she's currently serving. Well, let's get to that in a second. So she received her master's degree in social work from UC Berkeley. Oh, you wonder why. Specializing in psychi uh, psychiatric social work. Great. During her graduate work, she founded the Community Health Alliance for Neighborhood Growth and Education, Change, Inc., which provided mental health services to the East Bay's most vulnerable individuals. You remember that guy crapping on the trash can that we saw in New York? Do you know how common that is in the Bay Area at this point? People just crapping on the street or in trash cans or into planter boxes. Is that really the kind of person that we think? She she didn't do a great job. She didn't solve that problem. So she's moved on to bigger and better problems. She wants to be in the Senate. She represents the 12th District, which I showed you on there. Let's, let's go to the top up here. She currently serves as the ranking member on the Budget Committee and the powerful Appropriations Committee overseeing all federal government spending. She's also the ranking member. Of, I'm sorry. She's the ranking member on just the State and Foreign Operations Subcommittee for the appropriations. Do you guys know what that means? That means that she's one of the people that decides the budgeting, or at least has a significant impact on the amount of budget that the United States spends on foreign places. And that she wants to go and join her buddy and her colleague to do this thing. The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. She would like to continue to throw big money that way. These are Democrat priorities. You want a person that thinks a 20, uh, sorry, uh, a $50 an hour minimum wage makes any sense. There's no chance she's ever run a business that makes any sense at all. Just absolutely out to lunch. Let me uh, talk about a business that doesn't suck and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. I've got a couple more stories here. We're not done yet. So folks, I told you we're going to cram it in. Let's, um, let's say thanks to Patriot Coolers. My buddy's over there. I'm drinking out of it today. It's keeping me fueled. This is my 19 ounce in black. My wife has a 19 ounce in blue. And you're seeing the Seraphim family minivan cooler up on the screen. Go to patriotcoolers.com. Again, it's patriotcoolers.com. The promo code is Kyle. It's four letters. Saves you 10%. Seems like a pretty good deal. Easy to remember. Our promo code across all of the platforms is always Kyle. And patriotcoolers.com. It's an American company. They're based in Houston, Texas. They're good people. I got a family member that works alongside them in their one of their sister companies. They say Patriot right on them. They're good products. They work head-to-head -head with the biggest names, but instead of saying Yeti or Lifetime or Igloo or any of those things, they say Patriot on them. 
And I get compliments every time someone sees us. We bring these to like birthday parties. If you guys are not using your coolers all the time, that's because you're not being creative. Go out there and use them. And if you're in the market for a new one, if your old one looks ratty or it's not strong, it's not uh, holding ice or keeping things the way you want, check them out. And if you're in a market for a tumbler, you want to buy something for someone you love on this day that will last for a long time, check out a good and durable product. Stuff I've been using since 2007. I've done 20 plus states. I did uh, 20 what we call deployments with my uh, Patriot coolers. I carried them with me everywhere I went because uh, there's a couple things you need when you're doing surveillance. And one of them is a cup of coffee. You guys can watch the show more to learn about what the other ones are. All right, let's keep getting into this because there's a little bit more to it. Big important story. I don't want to let this fall down. Um, it came out yesterday and he's a suspendable. So we're going to cover it. This is coming from Just the News. John Solomon. Let me just say also, John Solomon's website, justthenews.com, is the worst website. I love their content, but man, the, the website itself is really, really bad. It's just like full of garbage and it always pops up. Watchdog presses FBI on whistleblower's bid for outside employment. Do you guys remember my friend Marcus Allen? I've been talking to him quite a bit in the last couple of days. He said the spirit is moving people to, to reach out to him. We are still keeping track of our friends. We have not let anyone go, whether it be Garrett or Marcus. And the money we raised for him is still sitting in a, uh, in a nonprofit right now that we had to create because we can't give it to him. Why? Because he can't accept charity and because what you're seeing on the screen, the FBI has made unlawful decisions to aggravate Mr. Allen's financial distress by depriving him of other sources of income while he's been indefinitely suspended without pay. He's not allowed to have a job. He has to resign if he wants to get a job. Otherwise, they'll fire him for cause. So he's just in this damn limbo that doesn't exist anywhere else. The crux of the FBI's unlawful interference with Mr. Allen's ability to obtain other income is this. Although the FBI suspended him from all duties two years ago, and has stated that its intention to revoke his security clearance and never return him to a duty status, it simultaneously claims that he has to remain as an, as an employee subject for various FBI restrictions and approvals are necessary for outside income. The FBI claims are plainly contrary. The FBI claim is plainly contrary to the statutory definition of a federal employee. It's the same reason why I had to actually, quote unquote, resign from the FBI. These people are sick. They are sick and they are evil and we have to hold them accountable. And so, like I said, if you individually can make one of these people pay, then we have to do it every single time. That's why impeachments are necessary. It's why taking, moving the ball anywhere we can. And I'm seeing you guys are worried in the chat. We, don't worry. Marcus is going to be taken care of. We're going to figure it out. We're not going to let him fall. Right now, he's taking advice from attorneys not to take any money. So we're holding on to it for him and we'll give it when it's time. And if I have to start individually like dropping off bags of cash, so be it. You heard that, IRS. I'll drop off bags of cash. I don't care about what federal law looks like if something is wrong. And I don't care about what the uh, IRS tax penalties are going to look like. It's their money. We raise it for them. Um, they're they're trying to fight the fight within the boundaries. So that's what the suspendables do, is they do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. And it is incredibly uncomfortable for them. Incredibly uncomfortable. And they're doing it not because of you know anything other than it's the right thing to do. And somebody has to hold these assholes to account. There's no other way to do it. Congress could step in right now, by the way, and they could pass a law the most important law that they ever voted on and put my friends back in. They could put Garrett O'Boyle and Marcus Allen. We're going to hear some more suspendables. I've been, I found out the FBI walked out like 10 people in the last month for all reasons that are stupid. So we're not going to, we're not gonna let these things drop. I just want you guys to know we're out there. Um, but I'm not going to leave you on a crappy note, feeling angry and sad. We're going to do uh, a little bit of fun. First of all, you remember how we talked about that uh, family <laughs> Remember the the, uh, the family that that told the state of Massachusetts they were going to bring some people into their uh, their home, and then an hour later they were dropping illegal immigrants off at their doorstep. 
How about this one? This is fun. I just found this online. It's absolutely hilarious to me. We have to have it. We're not going to get to the dad jokes yet. We got something better than a dad joke today. We got real jokes. Uh, how about this family bringing an in indentured service? They now, when was the last time like rich white people started letting, um, you know, poor black people come in and, and work and do the cooking and cleaning? <laughs> this is so, this is so obvious. Everyone wants one. Everyone wants one of these people, whether they speak English or not. Let's do this. story you'll only see here on NBC 10 Boston. A migrant family from Haiti is sharing their experience. They're searching for shelter in the Boston area and then recently found a host home in Brookline. And now they're looking for jobs. As NBC 10's Aaron Logan reports, they say these last few weeks have been life-changing. And it's been an emotional few weeks for Wildande Joseph and her husband. First, sleeping on the floor at Logan Airport, then in Children's Hospital with their two-year-old daughter who got very sick. She felt bad as any mother would. Now things are looking much brighter as they've been welcomed into Lisa Hillenbrand's Brookline apartment. She says her daughter is very happy. When she wakes up in the morning, she says, hi, Lisa, and everyone starts the day smiling. It's a delight, and it's really fun having them. What I realized is there's so much prejudice against refugees, mostly because people don't know them. Lisa says she feels like she has her own personal chef, as Wildande loves cooking. Te gusta la ocupación? Sí. In fact, her goal is to open up her own restaurant. The couple has their work permits and they've been taking English classes. They're open to work anywhere to save money for their future. In the meantime, they're enjoying their time with Lisa, their new friend for life, and their daughter's new grandmother. They are hardworking, they want to learn, they want to be successful, and I feel great helping and I get to understand the refugee crisis from the inside. Lisa says she's so impressed by the number of people she's met right here at Brookline Town Hall meetings who've been stepping up and hosting families. She's hopeful more will do the same in the coming days and weeks. In Brookline, Erin Logan, NBC10 Boston. <laughs> Hey, liberal white lady, let some strangers in your house you know nothing about. And that should work really well. She's like, oh, they're so great. They're so helpful. That used to be called the white man's burden, by the way. It is an utterly racist way to look at the world. It's incredible that we are normalizing this thing. What's really amazing is that uh, Lisa, who's such a good person that she now has a personal chef and some live-in people, she obviously is like a, a crazy person. That's who lets four strangers into their home. She doesn't appear to have a husband. So that seems like it worked out really well. There's a, a little AI response from, uh, what is it called? Grok, which is the uh, the AI platform that, that does a bunch of like background. It's kind of snarky on on Twitter. This was the, the, the question. Someone said, can a person in Massachusetts, where, where Lisa lives, can they kick someone out that they've invited to stay in their home? And here's the answer. In Massachusetts, a person cannot simply kick someone out if they've invited them to stay in their home without following the proper legal procedures. Interesting that there's a catch. The state has very specific eviction laws that must be followed even for guests who have overstayed their welcome. Under Massachusetts law, a landlord must go through the court system to evict a tenant. And if you want to evict that tenant, it applies to guests who have established residency as well. Hmm. 
If the guest has lived in the home for more than 30 days or has received mail at the address, they can be considered a tenant and they are then protected by state tenant landlord laws. To evict a guest who has overstayed their welcome, the owner must need, uh, they need to pr provide proper notice, follow the legal eviction procedures, and then the court will decide whether or not the guest should be evicted or not. This can take between one and four months. Well, Lisa, you just lined yourself up with something quite interesting. Folks, this is the unseen consequence. Do you think Lisa looked into uh, landlord-tenant relationships and what that looks like in her little state? Probably not. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. How many of these people are going to jump into this fun game? Let them have it. I'm for it. Someone in the chat just said they're a family now. Yeah, you're a family now. You're a single crazy lady who's lonely and ghost white, and you just invited four Haitians who don't speak your language, and you're going to get by with sign language while they, quote unquote, learn English and start a restaurant, even though they're here illegally and they have no legal status. They can't get loans. They can't uh, rent property. Knock yourself out. Now you're dealing with squatters. Good times. Um, it's not just, now it just won't be for real landlords. It'll be people bringing them into your own home. Pretty amazing. So that should be a good time and we should all sort of kick out of it. In another way that I think is also quite funny and I can't help it, the uh, the best is when we have sort of the, the red pills coming from the left, the political left. I'm gonna show you this. This might be the most epic Twitter feed. There's a, a, an Emily on Twitter that shared this with me yesterday and it was amazing. So here's a couple of little things from it. So I'm gonna lean back and read it. It says, if you're a leftist, you need to be working out. This is a woman, by the way, who has uh, some Arabic script and has an Iranian flag or a Palestinian flag, whatever you want to call it. Sorry. Uh, she said, if you're a leftist, you need to be working out four to five days a week, learning self-defense, along with organizing with your neighbors and in local communities for defense, food sovereignty, and community defense. There's no excuse not to do something to strengthen your body daily. <laughs> Welcome to the conservative movement, sweetheart. Now, here's the reaction. Are you ready? The reaction is this. Body fascism isn't leftist. Exercise is great unless you've had COVID recently and you don't want to disable yourself for life. Don't push yourself five days a week. Okay, more weakness. Uh, if, you're, if your leftism doesn't include disabled people, then it's not leftism, says somebody with a tranny flag and dinosaurs in their uh, thing. And then what's the best way to get in touch with your neighbors? I'm reclusive and socially anxious, but I recognize the necessity of community organizing and building. I'm also aware of the contradictions, but I'm completely unsure of where to start or how to carry myself in these interactions. It's just idiots. It's foolishness. It's so fun. And you can't help it. Here's one more of them. Ableists. Look, when, when the leftists start red-pilling themselves by sharing all of our uh, arguments that you should organize, that you should get your food together, I mean, they might, might as well go to 4 and get themselves squared away. Food sovereignty, folks. How about that? They're using leftist hilarious stuff. There's nothing funnier. Was that uh, Justice is Blonde? Are you Emily? I don't always know. You guys go and use these different names sometimes. So in any case, super fun, very amusing, and we're going to end with something fun and amusing. It's not a dad joke per se. I think it's a real joke, and you guys will appreciate this. Have you noticed that we don't have bullies? Do we need more bullies? Is that the answer? Do we just need more bullies? Maybe this guy figured it out. Eliminated bullies from schools, right? And it's worse now. School shootings have gone up <laughs> since we've removed bullies. And you know what that tells me? Bullies never did school shootings. It's been nerds the whole time, dude. <laughs> you know how I know nerds are doing school shootings? Who writes a manifesto, dude? 
I'm mad about it. Let me write it in my notebook. What a bitch, dude. Pick up a ball and throw it at a kid smaller than you. That's what you're supposed to do. If we had bullies in the schools, a nerd would start writing a manifesto, a bully would swat the pen out of his hand, and be like, that's gay, and there'd be no school shooting. And plus, you can't shoot up a school if you've been stuffed in a locker. Look, my man's making a lot of sense. You can't shoot up a school if you're stuffed in a locker. And if you get something slapped out of your hand and they tell you that's gay, then you know what? This guy's speaking a lot of truth. He sounds like he was probably raised in the same time I was. A lot of the the uh, window-licking crayon eaters that I dealt with in the military that were enlisted had the same attitude. We used to have a game called Beat It Nerd, which was that if you were walking around and you had your water bottle in your hand and people thought it was gay for you to have a water bottle, and I'm just using that word colloquially, yeah, they'd slap it out of your hands. And you'd look over and you'd be like, what the hell's wrong with you? And they'd go, Beat It Nerd! Because that's what we grew up with. Just toxic masculinity. So on this day, this day of love, and this day as we prepare for... for for the coming of, uh, of Easter, let's, let's remember, remember, we might need some bullies. There's a reason why human beings have always embraced some suffering and some hard stuff. And uh, guys, not wrong. We had an awful lot less school shootings when we had more people getting pushed into it. We also had some really great uh, business people come out of it. They went from beat it nerd to uh, beating the entire world. So there's a, there's a strong argument to be made. This guy's got his his, his facts in order. I see no lies detected in that little comedic routine. Anyway, a little thing for you guys to, to laugh about as we go into it. We don't have to always be so damn serious. So here it is, uh, our five-star review of the day. Let's share it out there. That's not the one I was looking for, is it? How did we get that one? Oh, it's another Jumanji. So TP Kansu, sorry. I, uh, I, I just read it. It's Jumanji, another one who liked the Jumanji episode. Great show as always. Uh, enjoying your analogies to current issues as it applies to in-depth thought of how to continue our fight. Steve Baker, there, that's why I brought this one up here. Steve Baker is doing God's work with exposing the deception of our justice system. They claim to have high prosecution rates, although freezing the defendant's funds so that they cannot pay for legal assistance. That forces them to plead guilty. I feel this information needs to be investigated to see how many of those guilty pleas were imposed on uh, by uh, were opposed upon on the defendants. Keep up the jad jokes; they're entertaining. Yeah, there's there's something to be said. We're not dealing with a time of justice, and when you deal with a time of injustice, we have to fight back in any way possible. And the way we fight back is with truth and with running, running it all down. We have to go and have people like Steve Baker exposing it, and we have to share things that are information uh, of value. TPH fourteen. I see you in the chat. That's yours. Thanks so much for the five star review, folks. You can leave your own at Apple. Um, on the uh, podcast app, or you can do it on Spotify. You can do it on iHeartRadio, anywhere that you listen to the podcast. We appreciate you guys sharing them and showing them. I hope you guys had some value out of today. I know we went extra long, but I felt like this was all important for today. We'll see you again tomorrow. Happy Ash Wednesday. Happy Valentine's Day. Bless all of you. We'll see you in the morning. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.